0: Occasionally, found when reading scripture that there's a word or a phrase that kind of seems to jump off the page at me, as it seems so relevant to current life situations. Or, or, at times, when it seems like the author of that scripture was reading news headlines even today, as he describes a culture even in his own day. And today's text has a phrase like that. It, it, it describes living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Some other translations call it a crooked and perverse generation, or a crooked and depraved generation, and all words that fit with what I see uh, in much of society and the world around us these days. And as the Apostle Paul writes into Christians at Philippi who are living in such a society as well, almost 2,000 years ago, these verses uh, in today's text, then um, he again brings us some imperatives actually three imperatives, three command or request statements that, uh, that seem maybe both hard to understand and also hard to do. I invite you to look with me at Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 18. And if you're using your uh, Philippians uh, journal, it's on page 12 in there right at the top. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad, and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would... Open up your word to us that we would understand it and know how to apply it, Lord, to our own hearts and lives. And, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher. And, Lord, that you would guide each of us to, to walk in a relationship with you and to be lights in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, just what are those three imperatives in this text? Uh, They're the three parts in the bold in your outline, if you're looking at that in your bulletin. One, work out your own salvation. Two, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then three, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Those are hard statements to understand or accept, either because they maybe in one case seem contrary to what we already know about or from Scripture or because they seem contrary to our own human nature and experience. First of all then work out your own salvation. This does not mean we are in any way saved by our works. One of the essential principles of Bible interpretation is to weigh Scripture with Scripture and so if we come to a verse that puzzles us because it might sound contrary to something we already knew then there's good reason for us to look at other clear statements about that subject in order to get added clarity from Scripture. The Apostle Paul very clearly speaks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says there, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. New Testament makes it quite clear in many places. Our salvation is fully accomplished by God through the death of his son Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life then is fully a gift. There is not one tiny thing that we can do to help earn it in any way. So then what is this saying? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not speaking about our justification, but rather about our sanctification, which which the catechism defines in this way. Sanctification is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit whereby he day by day renews the believer more and more after the image of God. However, though sanctification is declared to be a work of the Holy Spirit, yet there is a sense in which we have a part. That is, in order for spiritual growth to take place there has to be some kind of cooperation on our part. It is possible for a believer in Jesus Christ to resist the Holy Spirit and neglect the means that he has given to speak to us and to cause growth in our lives. And it's even possible to do so to the point of where we fall away from the faith and go lost, and that's a very sobering reality. And so with that in mind, we are rather urged here to work on a life of faith all the way to the finish. As an athlete who is Running along race needs to keep his eye or at least his mind on that finish line And and to make linear progress toward that goal or else he might drop out of the race So we are to keep our sights set on the finish line of heaven And we are to live out a life of faith on a daily basis as paul says here and to do it even with fear and trembling Not a fear or a terror of god, but an awareness of our own human nature and a concern about our tendency to wander from the right path. R. C. H. Zelensky explains it in this way he says, The Christian does not dread God, who gives him <coughs> excuse me, who gives him the life giving gospel, but he does dread the poison of sin that robs him of strength to work out salvation of himself. However, at the same time as we tremble at the reality of our own human weakness, Paul encourages us to look away from that and and to look then to the reality of the divine and and to God's ongoing work within us. Recognizing then that, that the will and the empowerment to live the Christian life is not from ourselves, but it's God that is mightily at work in us. Verse 13, he says that here, for it is God who works in you. It is God who is working effectively and productively. It is God who is putting forth the power in our lives. And he has no limits to what he can do with a life that is yielded to him. However, we're not always so yielded, are we? And that's why the next part of verse 13 here is so encouraging to me. Notice what it says there. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. Now, now what's he saying there? Well, when we become Christians, God works a change in our hearts. He, he gives us a new nature that, that longs to follow then the will of God. And, and we still though have that old nature that is determined to live for self and, and to do whatever we want. And that's why we pray, as we did even today in the confession of sin. Grant us forgiveness of all of our sins, and by your Holy Spirit, increase in us what? True knowledge of you and of your will and true obedience to your word. So what is our part? Which to humble ourselves and to pray, and to listen then to God speak to our hearts through the word and the sacraments, and then in his strength to obey what he has said. Lensky said this, if God is the one who works in us, both the willing and the working, then we Christians must ever go to God whose continuous grace will move us to will and also to translate the willing into deeds. Verse 13 said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work, for what? For his good pleasure. That that is in fulfillment then of God's benevolent purposes for our lives, God has plans for each of our lives and and he wants to use us for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. And, And so then the question is, will we allow him to do so? or will we settle for so much less but I think we want to control our own lives and our own destinies I remember well it was during my second year of Bible college that I was really struggling through the call of God to full-time Christian ministry and, and see during the summer before I'd gotten to travel with this ambassador gospel team and, and sing in churches all over the US and, and we visited in and stayed overnight in homes of total strangers and i gotten my first experience of counseling at a Bible camp and, and I had this realization that God could even use me it, and that was exciting. But the thought of being a pastor and having to be up front and speak in front of people regularly scared me. <laughs> and besides that, I had some other plans for my life that were a whole lot more comfortable than that. I had all kinds of excuses of why I shouldn't be a pastor and, Somebody else would be better at it, and so on. And and, and one after another, through the word of God, the the Lord um, took away all those excuses. And I had to get to this point where I said, okay, God, I guess I'm willing if you'll equip me. And and he did. Through my years of college life, through seminary book learning and mentoring there, and, and through a valuable internship Experience Uh, When I got to my first pastoral call, I was much more prepared. But still, honestly, for those first three years, I felt sick to my stomach every Sunday morning. And it was only by praying for his strength that I could get up front. And I did so, and and each time, God was faithful to, when I got up there, melt away the nervousness and empower me to share his word each week. Well, 30 years have come and gone, and, and God continues to work on my stubborn will, and also to equip and to empower me. And at times I still struggle with that call and God's plans for my life, but I know that God is at work within me, and I share that, I guess, simply because of this. I do know from personal experience that what this verse is talking about. God is able to change our will and also to empower us in whatever he calls us to do. However, the next imperative is one that I still really struggle with. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many of you succeed at doing that? Me neither. Matter of fact, sometimes I think this past year and a half, I've probably become better at grumbling than ever. Grumbling, that that word means, it's an expression of dissatisfaction, murmuring, muttering in a low voice. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel in the wilderness grumbled a lot, and God was not pleased with them. And then they grumbled both at Moses, their leader, and at God. And you know, when we grumble, isn't it often at people that are in charge of things? But when we think about it, if we really believe that God is ultimately in charge, then isn't our grumbling also at Him for what He's allowed in our lives? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now that disputing word here um, in the Greek it has this um, connotations of of really an inward questioning going on. Skeptical questioning and criticism uh, against God. Now as far as I can tell doing all things without grumbling or disputing is, is something that is humanly impossible to do. Because grumbling just comes so naturally for us, doesn't it? It starts so young and it slips out so easily And yet we are called to do so, and to do so in the power of God. And I don't think that any grumbling is a good thing, but if I understand right, this text is especially then speaking about grumbling or complaining against God and questioning Him. And why is that a concern that Paul is addressing here? Look at verse 15. He says, "...that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless, innocent, without blemish. Now as far as I can tell, that isn't saying that Christians must succeed at being perfect, because we all know that we are far from that. We are only considered blameless in God's sight, because we have been given Christ's righteousness in exchange for our sin and guilt. So what is this speaking of then? It is pointing us to the importance of our words and our actions backing up what we say we believe. And if we are living in open rebellion against God in some area of our life, or if we're grumbling against God and openly questioning his ways, then how will we help to point someone else to the salvation that's available in Jesus Christ? We're seeking to live our lives as examples in a society that doesn't know God or their need for his salvation. And so we do so aware that we are living then in the midst of what Paul calls here a crooked and twisted generation. Now what's crooked mean? Simple definition, not straight, huh? Curved. Truth is something that is straight. Lies are crooked and they bend in all directions. And there's a lot of lying and deception going on around us these days. And it seems to me there's something not good in some of the higher levels of government and in their connections with big tech and big pharma. And there are lies and deception and manipulation that make it really tough for us to know just what we should believe. And there are those who seem even determined to take advantage of crisis and that even make crisis in order to push through their agendas. And now some are even encouraging employees to turn in their employer if he or she isn't forcing all their employees to get vaccinated or get fired. We live in a crooked generation that, that seems to have lost its common sense and its ability to reason, and, and who acts on emotion. Governor of, of California recently signed legislation that aims to ban the sale of gas-powered lawn equipment and generators and other small engines designed for off-road booze, um, and, and to do so by 2024. Just wait a couple of years. If you want to get a good lawnmower, there should be a lot of used lawnmowers coming out of California. Beyond that, though, even he has signed an executive order that bans the sale of new passenger cars that are powered with the internal combustion engine by 2035. You wonder where all of this will lead. We live in a crooked and a twisted generation. That word twisted means distorted or, or perverse, uh, referring to an abnormal moral condition. And where is that more um, apparent than with gender issues these days in our society? Superman will be coming out in the new DC Comics as bisexual. Not to be outdone Marvel Comics, Captain America will be gay. There's also recently appointed ELCA church bishop that's transsexual and a National Assistant Head of Health and Human Services advising us in country um, on health issues that is transsexual. And those examples are, are touted really as advances in our society. We live in a crooked and twisted or perverted generation. And our goal as Christians is that we would shine as lights in the midst of a dark world. We sang earlier today here about the light of the world is Jesus, We are to reflect the light of Jesus to a lost and dark world. And how do we do that? Paul says in verse 16, we seek to live as such lights by holding fast to the word of life. The Bible, the inerrant word of God, is the lamp that shows us our sin and points us to our Savior Jesus Christ. It is the word of God that gives spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. It is the word of God that gives us truth where you don't know what to believe. And Paul says we shine as lights in the world as we hold fast to the word of life. Just a couple other things here in the text. We we do so, we live as lights in this world with the concern that those who have lived the life of faith ahead of us would not have run or labored in vain. Now, why would you run or labor if there is no purpose for it, no reward at the end? if all that was worked for is lost. Most of us know of, of folks, uh, maybe from previous generations, who have lived the life of faith ahead of us and, and have shown us the way. And I, I think of many, many pastors, some of my relatives, and some dear parishioners that I've looked up to who have now gone on to their eternal reward and glory. We build on what they labored for, and we don't want to throw that away by careless and purposeless living. The last imperative here in verse 18, Paul says this, he says, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And he's talking about, in verse, eight, or verse 17 here, he said, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Well, Paul is saying here, even if I end up being martyred for the faith, Beheaded so that my blood is poured out like a sacrificial offering, even if that is what is coming for me, I rejoice. Why? Because God can use that to advance the cause of the gospel. And that's what I'm here for. Three imperatives in this text. Work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. And that involves then living a life of faith all the way to the end. And doing so then daily looking to the power of God that mightily works within us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Because we live in a crooked and twisted generation that desperately needs Jesus, the light of the world. And so we then aim to live in such a way that they'll see him in us. And then you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's great joy was to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading. No matter what that took, even if it meant his death. May our greatest joy be seeing the gospel of God advance and being a part of leading other souls to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book of Philippians. It's, it's rich because it so clearly points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ being the hope of the world. And we have such a personal touch from Paul as he lived out his life empowered by you, Lord. And in some ways, we we hold him up and we're amazed at his mindset, Lord. But we, we know the rest of the story, too, of how you worked in his heart and brought that radical change in his life. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that we would look to Jesus, that we would remember that he is the hope for this world. He is the light of the world. And, Lord, as we live in this crooked and twisted generation... And it seems that things uh, go down a path further and further away from you. Uh, Lord, we pray that the result would be that our light would be even brighter, shining in contrast to that, and that that light would be one that's reflecting Jesus. Lord, that others would know the hope that He gives, the the forgiveness of sin and eternal life that is offered, and how that changes life and, and shapes our perspective in this life and and gives us wisdom and discernment regarding the things that we deal with around us. And we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.